This podcast contains spoilers, swear words, and snickering coming from me because I snicker when other people talk. I mean, that's the that's the cold open. That's how we're opening this episode. <laughs> Welcome to Bad Choices, a podcast about some pretty medium people who watch a pretty good TV show and then talk about it because they think it'll make them better human beings. Mm -hmm. Those Mm -hmm. people are us. (laughs) Yes. And that show is The Good Place. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, you're doing it. You're doing it. I am one of those people. I am Hannah McGregor. And I'm an online fact checker who's actually been a Targaryen this whole time, Jon Snopes. (laughs) Oh, I like Jon Snopes a lot. That's really good. <laughs> that was good. Thanks. I got that my groove back. Good. Oh. Uh, All right, Jon. And our, our guest. guest this episode is the one, the only, Sonera Geisler. Hi. Hi, Sonera. <laughs> thanks, you. Thanks for coming it to me. our podcast. Thank you. Being thanks on our podcast, me. whatever the correct preposition is, at the podcast. Um, <laughs> I think it's upon. Upon the podcast. Thank you for coming upon the podcast. <laughs> Sounds. Yeah, that's it. That's upon it. Upon actually, I believe is the right. <laughs> upon is a singular. Upon is the plural. <clears throat> yeah. Upon. It's non-intuitively. <laughs> um, hey, Sonara, you want to know about our spoiler policy? Yes. Our spoiler policy is uh, you may spoil the premise of the first season. We are talking openly okay. about the reveal at the end of the first season, but no spoilers beyond the end of season one. Okay. So we know they are in the bad place, but we don't know a heck of a lot more. Great. Cool. All right. So how do we start? I'd say what happens on the episode. Oh, go. Do it. You ready? Good. do it. This time out, we're talking about The Good Place. Season one, episode nine, Someone Like Me as a Member. In this episode, negotiations begin over the fate of the two Eleanors. Michael and Tahani host a meeting with the Trust Fund Bad Plays minions, which turns into a weird karaoke party. The whole time they mock and bully Michael, much to Tahani's dismay. Meanwhile, the two Eleanors go out to dinner with Chidi and Trevor, where Chidi and the real Eleanor bond over soup and eggplant and child trafficking. Uh, after those two leave, Trevor and Eleanor get drunk, and Trevor convinces Eleanor to give up trying to be good and just go to the bad place with him. The next morning, at the big negotiation, Michael stands up to the bad place crew for the first time and refuses to let them take Eleanor, who has since changed her mind and wants to stay again. Trevor responds by taking things to a new level and vows to summon Sean, the eternal judge who will decide Eleanor's fate. Flashbacks show Eleanor refusing to join various groups and teams throughout her life, instead opting to go it alone as much as possible. The episode ends with Tahani discovering Jason's bud hole, (laughs) confronting him about the state of his alleged meditation room and demanding to know who he really is. What if hooking up with Trevor is the real bad place? (laughs) The, oh, God. the baddest place. It is definitely the baddest place. 
Listen, oh. They call you dumb dumb the whole time. <laughs> it's gonna give you noogies. <laughs> Come on, dumb dumb. Okay, so here's what we do first. And by first, I mean third. I don't know what number we're at. Here's what we do mm, next. We rate the show. Hey, are you familiar with our rating system? I'm looking at it right now. You've got a piece of paper that says it. Yeah. Right there in front of you. Hey, John. Today, out of a possible 99 jalapeno poppers, <sighs> we so will many. be judging this episode according to the following criteria. Dancing ability. Coolness. Dopeness freshness and smart brained dancing ability fucking 2000 out of 99 that dance that the demon does when they put on who let the dogs out and she gets up and starts doing this little sort of dog dance it's like a hop with these shimmy. little puppy hands yeah. And when Michael's dancing to the Nixon tape with his thumbs say, up. Like 10 out of 10 Nixons for that dancing. <laughs> <laughs> it was real good because yeah. it was real bad. I can't believe the Shake Nixon didn't catch on. Just like as a dance craze. <laughs> just this, just thumbs out, arms sort of Just giving thumbs up while saying different racist statements. <laughs> That's the dance craze. Oh, wow. I mean, I think it has caught on. Let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, I think it's actually the big dance move of 2019. Yeah, it really. is. Uh, that's just life now. Yeah. yeah. We're just all doing the Nixon wah, every day. Wah. But every thanks for dancing day. in this episode. Yeah. Appreciate it. We've been missing it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 99. Perfect score. I really enjoyed that dancing. I'll give it 99 jalapeno poppers. Up next is coolness. 99. It's really like this episode, okay? Explain yourself. Mm, yeah okay <laughs> so or don't what i was thinking about as i was watching it i was like usually in most of the episodes though even the ones that tie together best where it's like the flashback and what's happening in the present day ties together really well it's like the flashback ties together with what's happening in the present day for one character but in this one the flashback ties in with like three different simultaneous storylines happening in the present day and everything weaves together really well and it's all just like super coherent like it's it's unpacking almost every character's like fraught relationship to friendship community sociability teamwork belonging not belonging being bullied like all of that stuff is tied together really well i think it's a really cohesive episode and it's also got the gag of the like stairs that pop out and they've been there the whole time that was cool i think that's more dope than it is cool all right agree to disagree but uh, i get john your point. snopes and i here <laughs> argue about the categorization go lot yeah, the categories don't make sense to me. They're not good. Yeah, we insist on using them every episode. I know. I was like, what's cool? I feel like what was cool was Tahani was surprisingly cool in this episode. Yeah. I don't totally. always find her cool, but I feel like her her whole thing is like she can't stand up for herself in certain ways, mm -hmm. right? But she's clearly able to see it in others, right? Like she's not yeah. able to see it in herself at this point. But yeah, advising yeah. Michael to stand up for himself. I was like, that's... That is cool. Yeah. It seems that she was actually friends with all of the famous people she says she was friends with. So you can kind of see maybe what there is in her that makes other people feel drawn to her. That like, when she is standing up for you, she can do so very well. Yeah, she kind of seems like she's life coach to the rich and famous a yeah. little bit, right? Yeah. 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 Half just so she can say she life coached <laughs> the rich and famous. Yeah. But yeah, she probably did. Uh, so yes, uh, all the jalapeno poppers, really cool. 99. Dopeness. Dopeness. This wasn't a super twisty one. I mean, it's got those fucking stairs. 
I mean, that, that was surprise a, revelation. There was stairs there the whole time. And what about jalapeno poppers being mentioned so much? Does that make it dope? <laughs> I think that might be more fresh. Like, we're raiding out of jalapeno poppers, so it's getting a bit inceptiony. I'm not really sure where to take it. I think but... Jalapeno poppers are fresher than they are dope. Okay. Um, <sighs> I feel like Jason would say they're dope, though. Jason would say they were. I mean, yeah. Jason. These are Jason's categories. He'd give jalapeno yeah, poppers like that, ninety-nine for like all of these. The dope jalapeno popper dump restaurant in Gainesville, Florida, or whatever, right? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the only twist here is kind of continuing the ones that have happened previously, where the fate of Eleanor keeps getting like rest from her hands and like just move to higher and higher powers. Mm. Like before it was her trying to keep her secret on the down low. Then the whole group knew. Then Michael knew. Then the neighborhood knew. And now it's out of her hands. It's sort of the group hands. It's in Sean's I mean, hands. Don't forget the one huge dope twist right at the end. Tahani oh, right. has figured out. Oh yeah. Tahani's that also is figured out. That, that That's huge. Johnny that was big. Jason. Yeah. She went huge. into his bud hole. And she you was waiting for him there. Love saying that with a grin. You love it. Bud hole. It's fun. It's to really, say. it's always really good. Just say it, <laughs> Hannah. Hannah, try saying it. No. Bud hole. Thanks, Sonera. No problem. And it gives Sonera ninety nine jalapeno poppers <laughs> for being dope. For and being fresh. dope and fresh. Fresh. Unique takes. Fresh. What's fresh? What's fresh in this episode? Bad Janet. Oh my god, Bad Janet is so fresh. It's extremely fresh. The representation of the demons in general, what they want to do with the unicorn, what they consider to be good karaoke material, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, you know, the mm -hmm. fact that they can't eat without listening to hardcore porn. Who can? Like, that's all fresh, fresh to death. Yeah. Yeah, all that bad place stuff is really good. What is even the purpose of a Janet who behaves in such a manner? (laughs) Your Tahani is so good. It's really good. I practice a lot. Oh, yeah, that was, uh, uh, I don't know, 14 jalapeno poppers. I like Bad Janet, but the rest of this episode... 85. Okay. <laughs> sure. You're underestimating how much I like those Nixon really tapes. Like. <laughs> Fine. Okay. We never agree. Oh, the fact that Bad Janet is always on her phone. It's such a great detail of a Bad Janet. Yeah, the Bad Place people are, are texting a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they really are. The texture of what constitutes the badness in the bad place people is so good. And they're also limited by the fact that they can't swear and be real bad. Like, bad Janet would be dropping F-bombs and calling people douchebags, I feel like, if she could. But instead, she calls Michael a dink. Yeah. (laughs) Dink. (laughs) Which is something that a little dumb, dumb baby would say, but totally works for bad Janet. Like, that's cutting it hurts coming from her little dumb dumb baby (laughs) i mean stop being so hard on babies they're doing their best i know they don't know much they're not smart except for those babies that got that bad plastic surgery (laughs) 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 those babies are donked up yeah those babies are donked up (laughs) (laughs) celebrity what is the magazine celebrity baby baby plastic surgery mishaps mishaps yeah (laughs) oh my god Oh, it just keeps going. <sighs> this episode's full of great jokes. Uh, last and certainly least smart-brained. Did we learn anything helpful for our brains this episode? I really liked Cheedy telling Eleanor just because, you know, there's a new Eleanor in town doesn't mean our relationship ceases to exist. Yeah, I feel like that's a really poignant moment because it's like we're learning that she's so afraid of being abandoned. She's just not. 
putting herself out in yeah. any way. Yeah. So he's like, they haven't talked directly about that, but he's observed that and he's letting her know. Oh, and he's I yeah. so smart yeah. brain in that moment. That's a great point. That's true. Yeah, I feel like with this episode, like... It is not one of the ones where they're like, time for us to explain Kant to you. Time mm-hmm. for us to tell you about this. Time, we're like, this, The episode's not like a mini philosophy lesson. At the same time, this is probably in this season the episode that hits me closest to home in terms of like things that I actually really struggle with. Yeah, this isn't the like overt smart episode where they give you a lesson in philosophy, but they show you based on the things they do and the problems that they solve together and work through it together, like actual wisdom about existing as a person. In the yeah, world. it's super insightful. Yeah, it still hits, hits some highs, I think. It does hit some real highs. It's got some great jokes. It's got some feels. Yeah, and there is wisdom in like how to be a friend to other people, how to be in a complicated relationship with people. Yeah. And it's not taught to us by Chidi on the chalkboard or with the books or by name dropping philosophers, and but so there's I a lot of stuff. It. But it's through his actions. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, you can totally get a lot a out of that. Better teacher. Yeah. Oh. Real teaching doesn't happen on chalkboards. It happens in bathtubs. Do you want to do a, a segment? Let's do a segment. Do you want to do a segment? Yeah, I would like a segment where I can make the following sound effect. Pew, pew! Okay, perfect. <laughs> this is Can't Stop, Won't Stop. Pew, pew! This, uh, Sonera, this is our version of a lightning round. Okay. Where you will be... Peppered with questions I mean, at a pace equivalent to Hannah's. I'm a little Phew! stressed out by how many lasers there are in here right now, so I'm going to do my best. <laughs> I feel like I'm like, it's the Mission Impossible. I have to weave around so many lasers. That's good. What was that one with Catherine Zeta-Jones and Entrapment? Entrapment, yeah. Yeah, they sing a song about that in um, the TV show Workaholics. Is it a real song from the movie? No, they make it up, singing about Catherine Zeta-Jones. Catherine Zeta-Jones, she dips beneath lasers. Ooh. <laughs> lightning round? Ready. Can you give me a lightning sound effect, Hannah? <laughs> it's a laser round, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Sorry, I meant zip zap. <laughs> zip zap. There we go. Thank you. Hannah, would mm. you consider yourself an optimist or a pessimist? I'm pessimist. Scenario, same question. Optimist. Sonera, when was the last time you stood up for yourself? Mm, pass. Hannah, same <laughs> question. Oh, I think I stand up for myself pretty well. Um, let's see. The last time was oh, probably when my cats were trying to make me wake up at 530. And I was like, no. <laughs> Atta girl. Hannah, Grocho Marks or Karl Marx? Karl Marx. Sonera, same question. Zeppo, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Sonera, <laughs> do you know how to tap a keg? I don't. <gasps> Hannah? Nor I. Oh, no. Oh, this is like being a girl in the 90s problems. Can't tap a keg, can't roll a joint. I make a great date to the keg, though. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone You can tap that at the keg yeah, if exactly. you would like to. <laughs> you can tap me there. Yeah. <laughs> and I can tap you. <laughs> the same i changed my answer it's better okay. hannah what is one team that you're glad to be a part of oh um this one yay <laughs> same question no team or like gang or group or posse oh i guess i'm trying to think of like what i i don't know why this <laughs> clearly i'm not a team player we're also so in a very good book club together stump but yeah that's a great team the fat yeah. kid book club is an amazing that kid book club oh. is an incredible thrilled team. to be part of that team i love that 
Uh, bu- 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 Just for the record, in that round, I got two points and Sonora got zero. That's I know, two. I did really poorly. <laughs> I am keeping track. There's more. Don't worry, you can you can come back. Okay, great. Sonora, what do you get someone who wants to eat a unicorn? Oh, a unicorn bib. Yeah. Is the answer in the show? Kind of same question. Uni- unicorn, unicorn holders? Like unicorn corn holders? But, but, but maybe also sprinkles. Like oh. rainbow sprinkles to like oh, as. Yeah. That would be like the parmesan. <laughs> That you would put on a unicorn, right? To eat it with? Like, yeah, the waiter just stands next to your table. Say when. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hannah, toilet paper over or under? Over. Sonera. I don't have a position on that. All right. Fair enough. I have to go. Sonera. <laughs> Get out. I mean, resting on top of the roll, obviously. Yeah. I'm not gonna. Ch- I'm not gonna change it. What, what am I? My own butler? Come on. Uh, exactly. Sitting on the counter. Yeah. Just out of reach. Hopefully not in the toilet because I refuse to put it on the roll and knocked it in while flushing, which is something that's never happened more than twice. <laughs> <sighs> okay, we're we're almost there. Sonera, would you rather be a big fish in a small pond or a small fish in a big pond? Oh, uh, I think small fish in a big pond. Ooh, nice. Hannah. Big fish in a small pond. Ugh. Would you eat me? <laughs> For sure. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Hannah, can Trump. morality ever be objective or is it always subjective? Ooh, subjective. Sonera? Yeah, I have to agree. Subjective. Final question. Sonera, if life were a video game, what would your favorite cheat code be? Oh, B A B A up down B A left right B A start. Yeah, one thousand points is there. Oh, damn it, Tana! There's no way you can win, but say say it something. Pew pew. That has been. (laughs) Can't stop, won't stop. Pew pew. We are. We are lightninged out. What do you want to talk about? Um, I want to talk about blaming your parents for shit. Oh yeah. On the double date Eleanor's talking about her divorced parents and says that that kind of trauma can explain away a lot of behavior (laughs) I think is her line yeah and Trevor makes a joke a few minutes later that actually millions of kids live through divorce and the real Eleanor's been through something worse but that moment you know stuck out for me as a child of divorce right and what I went through growing up doesn't justify my bad behaviors but it has shed light on why I do or think certain things or why I used to do certain things. A friend of mine used to say he had this line that was something along the lines of uh, our parents can't help but break us in certain ways and then it's up to ourselves to put us back together. And I've been thinking a lot since watching this episode four minutes ago, like when it comes to like being a good person or being a good adult, like how much comes down to our upbringing? Like what does it mean or look like to put yourself back together when you've been through either what real Eleanor's been through or what fake Eleanor's been through like like can we change our character if so how I always like the metaphor of like childhood trauma in particular like as a you love childhood trauma I just love I love first of all I can't get enough of childhood trauma (laughs) 99 of 99 (laughs) chef's kiss just love it uh no what I was gonna say is I like the idea so when you're a kid you don't really you're you expect you need to receive love in a certain way right and some of us don't get that and so I sort of understand it as like receiving love in a good way is like someone plants something beautiful inside you and then it just like gets to live and thrive Mm -hmm. but when you have a really bad childhood trauma it's kind of like you get a weed planted in you Mm. and you don't really have control over this weed but I think over the course of your life you can garden around it you can tend to it you can make sure it doesn't take over all the sort of beautiful stuff that your 
trying to cultivate. So I always feel like that's how I position that. Like you're never going to be able to reset some fundamental things that happened to you in your development. But I don't think that you're at the mercy of that necessarily. Mm. I think like a lot of therapy, Mm -hmm. if you like. Therapy. Big fan. Therapy. (laughs) Get some today. Like I don't know why that's what that sounds like. Sonera was texting me the other day and she was like, what the fuck? What the fuck is up with everybody on Twitter? Like you say anything, you're like, mm, hurt my ankle today, and everybody's like sliding into your DMs, like, but Loki, have you tried therapy? Like, yeah, I have a therapist. She has amazing ankles. I feel yeah. like it would really, would really help you. Yeah. What? Um, but I guess, yeah, I guess I feel like that doesn't absolve. Like I think it's important when we're talking about trauma that we don't sort of bootstraps ourselves, mm-hmm. especially with childhood stuff. But so I think that weed metaphor, like. It gives you, there's sort of control there, right? It's like there's this thing that happened that you can't change and you've got to live with it, but you can kind of tend to it. Yeah, I mean, that certainly resonates. I spent a lot of my, so like I had a pretty, you know, significant life-altering childhood trauma Mm -hmm. um, and spent a lot of my life after that basically like we're believing very strongly that i was a broken like a fundamentally broken person just like this broke me i will never never be normal like the other people around me yeah and i do kind of still think that trauma like i do believe that trauma turns you into a different kind of person like there's a reason why like all of my close friends are people who are also living with pretty severe trauma like i do kind of think it makes you a little bit of a different kind of person like I do kind of like that like there's something inside of you that's just going to be a little bit different but I think when you are actually in a community with a lot of people who have PTSD or are survivors of trauma you also come to realize that like being traumatized is not an excuse for being a dirtbag like being traumatized mm-hmm. is not an excuse to treat other people badly being traumatized is not carte blanche to behave however you want Right. Like it's still you still have the same kinds of ethical obligations to your community and the people around you. You just have to figure out ways to make that work within the capacities that you have. And that for me actually feels more possible. Like that alienation that you see in Eleanor in this episode super resonates because when you think you are the only person who is fucked up and everybody else is shiny, happy people and you just don't understand why they like make friends so easily and yeah. don't feel tortured about everything like that's really isolating Absolutely, but then you yeah. start to meet other fucked up broken people and you're like oh no, no okay we can do this together we can all be broken together i mean maybe part of it is that it's easier to talk about those things or understand those mm-hmm. things when you're an adult and you understand yourself and language and your relationship to other people a little more like it's hard to deal with as a kid maybe part of it just it requires a certain bit of time or distance. Well, it's not just that you have the language. It's like, hypothetically, you've had therapy. Yeah. <laughs> Tell thing. me more about this therapy. I can recommend 10 to 12 therapists. <laughs> <laughs> I was joking that maybe for our generation, like, that's, as you get older, that's like, what your friend group is just five different therapists that you pay. <laughs> Named Chandler, Rachel, Joey. <laughs> <laughs> hey. Yeah, I mean, I hope not, but sometimes it does feel like people... How are ta- are dealing with so much that like that's a shorthand for like I don't have capacity to talk to you like it's a weird yeah. yeah 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 the same friend of mine who used that phrase that I kind of invoked earlier used to explain how and why he would he needed to have friends that had not experienced the same thing but could relate to him on a certain level 
And it makes sense that the people that I spend a lot of time with have also been through shit so that when I talk about what I struggle with or what I'm trying to do or what I'm working on, they maybe not understand my experience perfectly, but they have like a corollary and they're like, yeah, I get that. Yeah, you can be like casual trauma pals. Yeah. Casual trauma pals. Because <laughs> otherwise you, band name. you talk about like, oh yeah, no, I just like you meet someone new and they're talking about their great family and something c- comes up in casual conversation like, oh no, sorry, I never knew my dad. I just, I can't get into, I don't know, yeah. sorry. When people and then just they don't know like... how to deal with that conversation and then they just never talk to you again. Oh yeah. <laughs> when people have like just good relationships with their parents i'm like what the fuck what is that what's wrong how why when i whenever i reveal details about my father to a new person and then they make like a horror face i'm like oh no like i I forget outside for 20 and people are like what and i'm like no it was like actually really funny and they're like no that's That's not not that's not a funny (laughs) thing you're saying but to me it's like turned into a tight five at this point yeah well you've worked through it enough yeah. that you reconciled it and it's this thing that you have to kind of be able to I'm like know. no we did crafts together I rolled his cigarettes my <laughs> tiny hands were so good at it and people are like that's <laughs> really upset I'm like so what you're saying is you do know how to roll a joint I d- oh, well okay. in theory okay we'll put this to the test later but on the subject of blaming your parents like it's so hard not to when they are the direct causes of your trauma yep. like it's one thing to say like I think even divorce is sort of a little different because it's like i mean it when class affects divorce too class right? affects divorce yeah. absolutely and, also, and what we see of all Eleanor, divorces look very different divorce doesn't mean like one coherent yes. thing i thought you said all the horses look very different I was like, <laughs> I yeah sometimes in a divorce the ponies are split equally <laughs> yeah. and that is really nice yeah yeah sometimes one parent ponies. takes all the ponies and, and it really no messes up so the relationship <laughs> um yeah so class super affects it absolutely yeah. and we, we you know we know that eleanor is not only from a divorced family but also that her family is working class and mm-hmm. very unstable and like there's all of this other stuff happening right and it's like yeah i mean lots of people have hard childhoods but saying suck it up everybody's childhood is hard is never a good way of dealing with trauma and jokes aside i think eleanor is actually dealing pretty clearly dealing with trauma yeah 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 100 she is absolutely and so what you're saying is Trevor was not helpful at dinner? I'm saying Trevor is not helpful. That's what oh, I'm saying. I know hot, it's a hot take. Hot take. So hot. Hot take. Yeah, you so heard hot. it here first. He was like trauma negging her, kind of. Oh, my God. Right? I struggle with this with my relationship with my own dad, though, because he was definitely responsible for some of the significant trauma of my childhood. My mom died when I was 16, and my dad uh, found a new partner almost instantaneously, bought a house with her in a different city, and moved there. My brother, older brother had already moved out, and so I was functionally on my own, which I was not prepared for. No. And it took our relationship a really long time, like the last couple of years long time to come back from that with a lot of work and it is still a lot of work for me not to resent both what he did and the parent that he continues to be like it's hard it's hard not to resent the people that you really thought you could trust when they let you down yeah just is yeah yeah and as a, as a kid especially you should have the expectation of that trust right mm-hmm. like it's not it's not in your control and that's why i feel like it's important to sort of honor honor that right yeah and not pretend that as children we have the tools to process trauma that we do when we're like 30 somethings yeah seeing many therapists yeah. 
<laughs> like, I think there is that that sort of impulse, right? Like, I think when people are dismissive of childhood trauma, that's why. It's usually because they've had access to therapy and they've mm-hmm. been able to work on it, right? right? And it's not really understanding that, like, some people might never have the same tools to process that. But that's okay. So then using Eleanor, I mean, we could all use ourselves as an example, but we have the example of Eleanor and we start to see, I would argue, her fundamental character changing this episode, if not one or two before. And the show gives us some uh, insights as to how that can happen. But for the rest of us that aren't in a kind of heaven where a Janet can give you whatever you want, like how can we work on improving our character in spite of what we may have been through and what it did to us? Like, are there actual things that you can do or that you have done that have helped? So, like, probably from trauma, we develop patterns. And sometimes the ways that we learn to care for ourselves are, like, not actual caring for ourselves that's been modeled for us, Mm -hmm. usually by one of the people who's, like, caused us trauma. So I think for me, that's been a huge part of my healing is realizing, like, what were the coping mechanisms modeled for me? And do those coping mechanisms actually help me cope? And I think in some ways... That's what Eleanor is learning, right? Like her coping mechanism has been, I withdraw. I push people away by insulting them and making them know that I'm totally off limits. But like here she is in the good place, maybe being kicked out. And she has to think about, well, actually do I I want like, what would it mean to want to be part of it? Yeah, maybe this hasn't been the best way to go through life. Or afterlife. I do think you kind of have to have that epiphany, though. And sometimes it's like no one can get you there but you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think there's there are no shortcuts. There's no yeah. easy answers. There's no way around that, like, long, hard work of self-reflection and self-examination. And also, so not just the work of identifying the patterns, but of breaking the patterns, which is so difficult because the patterns are so comfortable yeah well the devil you know i always think about that right like it's so even things that are bad for us sometimes we will hang on to a bad thing because the risk that if we take a risk and then there's a worse thing feels Mm -hmm. way scarier yeah or it's the only thing you know and that's your baseline right like that becomes normal after a certain point and you have to learn how a different type of normal a different way of just existing on a base level could work yeah Yeah. it's like when my co-stars app app is like only you know why you're so afraid of success (laughs) like jeez look my butt groove and failure is amazing and i'm very comfortable here okay yeah (laughs) i like to surround myself with people that i can look to as role models that's one thing that has helped me yeah that is helpful people in my life that can do things or think about things or have gotten to places that i haven't been able to that i can learn from or aspire to or just be like reminded about because i talk to them or see them you know once a week or whatever that's so convenient because i like to surround myself with people who are worse than me so i think we have uh, (laughs) fully understood why hannah and i are friends (laughs) Seriously, though, I do think for me that comes back to that, like wanting a community of other people who not only have been through some shit, but are sort of in a place in their lives where they're ready to talk about it. Because like, honestly, I can't have a friendship with somebody who's not willing to talk about trauma. What the fuck would you talk about? I don't know. I mean, pol- like, what do people who not talk about trauma? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> is, is that what people who don't have trauma is 
was a big Vancouver mood. <laughs> what do other people talk about? Pilates. I mean, green that, juice. That temperature taking is huge for me, though, mm, right? Because yeah. I feel like my trauma responses are always really there's like some hyperbolic reactions and assessments. So like, if I didn't have pals on Twitter where I like said a thing, who were kind of like. <laughs> is that accurate like is is that a joke you're making and then sometimes i'm like is it i don't know if it is or mm-hmm. if i've just like really exaggerated a situation because it's like pressed a button oh right yeah. i yeah. couldn't i couldn't know sometimes i know enough now to know to check my reaction against someone else and that's mm. extremely valuable yeah because it's like think, a litmus test because it well it helps me from like totally catastrophizing and like right. completely spiraling out like so, this person said this thing to me and that must mean the following 17 possible yeah. conclusions yeah yeah right must mean i'm like a trash bag of a human being and i don't know how to make friends i don't know how oh. to have relationships this relationship we have right now probably isn't even real like it's it definitely just not real. Don't yeah. know how to tap a keg yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> Got nothing going for me but that's so good like having people you can check in with who sort of know your deal like yeah. know what your shit is and where you're coming from and so can sort of when you're like this thing is happening and i kind of i'm not sure how to respond to this that people will be like mm, chances are you are Assuming everyone hates you for some reason without any evidence to support it. Yeah. And sometimes it really sucks to hear, but it's helpful to have the person who can just know you well enough to be like, hey, you're doing that thing you do again. It's that thing. Like, oh, yeah. Great. Thanks. If you just sing that song. You (laughs) do that thing you do. We now owe Tom Hanks (laughs) six million (laughs) dollars. This podcast is bankrupt. Uh, well, uh, bye. Should we do another segment? Yeah. Okay. I'm running the show now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah let's do another segment. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. This is called, I think we called this Punder Rug Swept. Oh, I, <laughs> I love that. That's a really beautiful Alanis tribute. Yeah, we make a lot oh, of Alanis references. There's a lot of references. Alanis references in this podcast. Just That's amazing. Ready. Okay, so Punder Rug Swept. In this segment, I will list three pun names. In this episode, it's restaurant-themed. So three pun named three pun restaurant names. One of them was in that episode. Oh. Two of them I made up. You have to guess which one is real of the three. Are you ready? Yes. The stakes have never been higher. Yeah. Okay. So far in this segment, I have a standing score of zero whoa so this is this is right for the pickings an era okay the first three are you ready yeah meal of fortune the good plates or kung food the good plates is the real one that's correct Sonero wins round one. Meal of Fortune is really good, though. Thank you. Like, great work. <laughs> Meal of... And I'm, just, and I'm just imagining that you spin a wheel. And, like, and it that's, tells you what you're that's eating. That's what you're eating. Oh, my God. That would be fun. Oh. I it's like restaurant, restaurant roulette. Have you ever used that website? No. That's like a real... I don't know if it's still up, but that's how I used to choose how to eat sometimes. You, like, spin it, and it makes the choice for you. <laughs> this incredible. is the second and final round. So the points are doubled. God damn it. Okay, are you ready? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bread Zeppelin. Oh my God. The falafel wedded wife. That's really good. Abracababra. Abracababra. Bread Zeppelin. You're both wrong. <gasps> I made them all up. Ah, ah, the falafel wedded wife is really good too. <laughs> Those are all very good. 
<laughs> I spent a very long time. It's very yeah. good at puns. You're both very good at puns. Puns are hard. Puns get me hard. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's do one more serious talk and then take a break. Okay. A serious. A serious talk. <laughs> Why is that the voice I'm doing this today? Because that's your serious voice. <laughs> this is my serious voice. Taxes. <laughs> Spreadsheets. Business. Business. You made a lot of notes. Do you have something serious you want to talk about? Yeah, get your dossier out. <laughs> oh, okay. Here, choose your topics. The two things that I would like to talk about is the banality the of... The two things the are... The two things are... Is... A ponst. <laughs> the, the two things a ponst went. <laughs> Mine eye half trembled, forsooth. <laughs> we're going to see Shakespeare in the park on Saturday, so we just have to really warm up into yeah, it. Yeah, we're doing great. A ponst is uh, the banality of the bad place. Yep. Or uh, anxiety and pushing people away. Yeah, I want to talk about the pushing people away thing. Okay. Let's talk about that. Yeah, the moment... For the listener, we're all pushing each other yeah. away. <laughs> right Physically. now. Would if Marshall oh, hadn't no. already seated oh, us no. such that we can't even reach It's true. I, f- I feel like you you really seated us far apart. Yeah. Do you want like which a... Which was so, an act of violence. Should I get like a stick or a baguette with which you can poke Hannah? Would that make you feel better? Yes. If it was a baguette, I could I would. L- I just want a baguette always. <laughs> <laughs> yeah to eat and to hit others with oh it's, it's so the perfect good. snack for that reason wow. yeah it's and true. hitting away birds <laughs> no that would atta- work crows attack well yeah they might take the baguette yeah but like it would the work baguette once. is bait oh uh, it's like i understand now why i get attacked by so many crows <laughs> just when walking I, down the street waving when, a baguette when a baguette is my preferred accessory <laughs> Learned so much coming on this podcast. It's really amazing. That's what it's for us for learning. (laughs) What were we talking about other than baguettes? The moment when Trevor calls Eleanor a third wheel. Oh, yeah. We know that he is so good at getting exactly what is hurting somebody. And it's so revealing in that moment that the reason why in all of those flashbacks, she's like, oh, you want me to be part of your thing? Fuck you. I could not want to be part of your thing less is that deep terror at if you actually get attached to people and they reject you, it will hurt. And so you better reject them first. And what I'm interested in is I think that's psychologically very true and absolutely a way that trauma manifests for a lot of people, particularly early childhood abandonment, which we know is part of what went on for Eleanor. And there's actually some really interesting studies showing that if you are abandoned early enough in your childhood, the parts of your brain that are capable of believing other people won't leave you don't get fully developed. It's like you don't develop relationship object permanence. And so you just like literally are not capable of believing people when they say they aren't leaving. And I did not know that. Yeah. And you can rewire those neural connections in your brain, but you have to you have to do it intentionally. Your default will always be to just assume everybody's lying to you. It's like my dad left, but all I got were these crippling abandonment <laughs> issues. <laughs> It's the only thing I got to hold on to. What a great t-shirt. You make that. It's incredible. Um, And and so that, you know, that's all that's all very triggering. Um, but what interests me. I've got that lump in my throat now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's extremely. It got real again. Yeah, it really did. The the question for me is what does this have to do with being in the good place? 
yes, I, I see how the level of narrative, how that works, but how does not being willing to be part of a team make you a less good person? Well, isn't the show kind of like it's playing on this Sartrean hell as other people, right? But I feel like the whole. Say more. I, but I feel like you probably talked about Sartre already. No. You, you didn't? Okay. So. so <laughs> How I'm, dare you? I'm never not talking about Sartre. <laughs> Um, just people think I'm talking about clothes. They're like, oh, she's so sartorial. But what I'm really talking sartorial. about, but I'm sartorial. That's how, <laughs> that's how I identify. Um, but, um, so I actually don't know the name of the play in no English. Exit. No exit. Thank you. So we close en français. Uh, and the, the plot of that play is basically that the hell is other people. So it's the character. It's, it's a play where the, all the characters personalities clash and Sartre is sort of arguing that like that more than demons and flames is like what hell is. It's being with other people that you don't get along with who press your buttons. It's this whole fucking series and adaptation of a Sartre play. It It is. But I think what it's actually arguing is that the opposite is that hell, hell might be other people, but hell might, al- or, but other people might also be the good place might be heaven i always thought that was a very beautiful goosebump yeah so that's what i i guess with my just like such impressive searching background um no i've always imagined you don't you have no idea how hard i am right now (laughs) but i've always kind of imagined that this this show sort of responds to that right like so yeah hell hell might be terrible relationships with other people but what if the flip side heaven is good relationships with other people I mean, well, that was the intent, right? Yeah. They're supposed to torture each other. They end up being friends and helping each other. Yeah. Right? It does twist that idea on its head a little bit. And it only works as torture if they turn against one another. And what we see is them increasingly refusing to turn against one another. And that's not possible. This is We talked about this last episode, but there was a real great tweet recently that argued for a reading of The Good Place as (laughs) (laughs) pro-union. Because the people in power are trying to turn them against each other. It does kind of become a union-busting narrative, doesn't it? It does. It does. And um, and, uh, that's only possible if you're willing to make yourself vulnerable, decenter the self and the ego a little bit, and take a risk on other people. I mean, this episode is, you know, invokes... That Groucho Marx quote, right? I would never want to be part of a. I wouldn't be a part of any a group club that, that would have me as a member. Yeah, right. And you see, right, that that's about the fear of being excluded, and how that creates this kind of this kind of defensive, protective superiority that Eleanor had, and is now in this episode finally letting down in a substantial way for the first time. She used to preemptively reject everyone, mm-hmm. right, up until the end of this episode. And it's interesting because she was always in a position where she could or thought she could, right? Yeah. And that it was that moment of vulnerability where she arrives in the good place and knows that she's fucked and she mm-hmm. has to turn to Chidi for help. And now she is sort of stuck in this relationship with him and that, you know, that is the thing that ends up pulling her out. Like we've talked about this before, but but I really think that that what we see happening across this season is a story of the way that caring for others makes you a better person it's the other people around her that make her good all of the truly good transformative things that happen which are also the best plot twists she doesn't do in and of herself it's for chidi she sees chidi suffering so she stands up during the meeting and says she's the problem she's given up on herself is going to leave the bad place until she remembers how much chidi has helped her and how she can try to be like chidi too and help him and help others the way he helped her it's for and because of other people 
I had a really, like, years ago, so, you know, depression, fun stuff, anxiety, and I remember being, like, in a really depressive episode, and a friend sort of said to me that it was hurtful to her that whenever I got depressed, I just assumed everyone would leave me. She's Mm. like, you don't think that that hurts other people, but that hurts people that care about you, that you regularly express that you're, like, worthless unless you're a certain level of happy, and it was huge for me because I think... It's a way that we do harm and let ourselves off the hook at the same time, right? Where we're like, oh, I'm garbage, so who cares? And, like, obviously. People, and nothing I do matters. Nothing I do matters. And then she was like, actually, like, every, like, I am sad that you're hurting, but you also need to know that is hurtful. Yeah. Right? And so I do think that's, the show is really, is really good at that, right? At having the characters sort of realize also when they're harming each other. Like, mm-hmm. they're kind of learning that their actions actually affect and how they can people. be there for each yeah. other in yeah. different ways in important ways yeah yeah and it's and it's scary and hard and that's what we see the sort of fear that eleanor is registering especially in those flashbacks mm-hmm. right like you know and, and the fear that she experiences when she sees Chidi and the real Eleanor clicking and she's like, oh, well, I'm out. Like, he's found somebody to replace me with. You know, disposability culture, which is a function of capitalism and white supremacy for the most part, says that, like, if somebody finds a better version of you, they will throw you into the garbage and you will be gone. And a lot of us have bought into that. Both that other people in our lives are disposable and that we ourselves are disposable in relation to them. That's why single white female is so scary. (laughs) 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 We could be replaced at any time. Invasion of the body snatchers. Yeah, yeah, right. All of those body Um, snatcher replacement narratives. Like, I think they do really speak to an anxiety, like a capitalist anxiety that we are as as valuable as our productivity, as our pleasantness, as our attractiveness. Even just calling her fake Eleanor. Yeah. The Mm -hmm. idea that there's a real best Eleanor. Right. Yeah. Like it's just so palpable that you're replaceable on a whim. Yeah. And that's what they're telling her. Right. They're Mm -hmm. telling her you here is a person who has the same name as you and is better than you. And all of the people you care about are going to love her more than you. And it doesn't work because Chidi doesn't throw her out. Yes. Because he doesn't say like, oh, yeah, no, this person's my real soulmate and you suck. So I think of Eleanor's as Pokemon and I got to catch them all. He does not say that. (laughs) But like, wouldn't that be amazing? That would be beautiful. (laughs) Should I write for the good? (laughs) Yes, you should. That's a that's an embedded like uh, promotional (laughs) for Pokemon. That's like a partnership. Well, this is probably the first time she's experienced relationships that aren't zero sum situations. Like it's yeah. not that someone else comes in and so she is out. And that's kind of how she's been operating as like a baseline at this point, right? Well, it's what she's assumed would always be the case. I think we have right. lots of evidence that she's passed. Like in her life, there have been people who wanted to care for her, who wanted to reach out to her, but she was incapable of believing that this wasn't some kind of con. Um, right. Or that they wouldn't eventually tire of her and want to get rid of her, right? Like that, the even that opening scene where it's like she showed up this new school, she has six months left, and she doesn't want to be friends with everyone. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, what happened that she suddenly changed high schools six months from the end of senior year? Like, how does one get to this place? We don't get that backstory, but that that context speaks to us of disruption upheaval instability mm-hmm. um and knowing like well why would i want to make new friends i have to change places every six months right and or my roommates people. find new places to live, live. every six yeah. months yeah. 
or yeah used to things being transactional so as soon as like class and precarity make your life more transactional because stability is a luxury and so as soon as like there's she's there's the presented sort of option of the the eleanor that was meant she's like well i'm gonna be tossed away yeah right so it's huge that he's like no there's room i think it's also worth pointing out that the context in which Eleanor can grow in these ways, come to trust other people, is a context of non-precarity, right? Like, yes. she has stable housing. She does not have to worry about income. She does not have to worry, like, people are not taking off. Like, that the good place functions as what might be the first stable environment she has ever gotten to be in. Yeah. That's a good point. And that this is, like, I think the show offers a really strong... Um, social critique of the way that being quote unquote good is more or less possible for people depending on their sociopolitical status Absolutely. and position in life. I mean, I think it's huge that a show could make me like a philosophy major, <laughs> which is just something I've never done. I mean, the show now. could make me like somebody who repeatedly refers to themselves as a professor but has not yet uh, received their doctorate. Hannah does make a really good point. It is hard yeah. to be a good person when you're focused solely on surviving, Survival. just getting by. Stability increases our capacity to thrive. Like you're not going to have thought experiments if you're living in precarity. Yeah. <laughs> like it's not people who are <laughs> struggling to make rent and keep a roof over their head like, who are like devil's advocate for a second. Like they're not the ones doing that. Yeah. Right. And so, yeah, I think your point is great that like, this actually might be the most stable place that Eleanor's ever been. So that is actually what's allowing her yeah. to grow as a person. Because she hasn't really had that space before. Yeah. Ugh, I'm going to give Hannah 99 jalapeno poppers. Yeah, for, for sure. It's really smart. Smart-brained and fresh. So fresh. Do you want to do, you wanna do, your, do, you wanna yeah. do your segment? So I'm really excited for it's this. It's from a joke in this episode where Trevor says, did you pork the dork? <laughs> so Is that what this segment is called? Cheaty, uh, no, this segment is called, would you pork the dork? Oh, would okay. you pork the dork? Would you do it? Would you pork the dork? The way he looks at you, you know he wants to fork. Would you do it? So ready. Your, your first dork, Steve Urkel. Yeah. Oh, pork. 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 Second dork, Stefan Urkel. Pork. <laughs> I mean, oh, that's a that's no a pork. no. That's a no pork for Anna. Kimmy Gibbler. Oh, pork. Yeah, pork. Donatello. Pork. <laughs> so oh pork. Oh my god. Wow. Oh wow. You just you just triggered something. Oh. <laughs> 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 I got that feeling in my throat again for different reasons. Doogie Hauser. Oh, pork. Yeah, very pork. Yeah. Comic book guy. Nope. Sorry. Anti-pork. Anti-pork. Willow Rosenberg. Oh, pork. Oh, my God. Uh, I want a, uh, a three-way with Willow and AU Vampire Willow. <laughs> yeah, that's a, hot, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a really hot three-way. Wild. Yeah. 
Yeah. <sighs> I have to go have a minute. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just pause the podcast for just a okay. sec. Are you are you ready for the next one? I hope so. Uh, I think so. Hermione Granger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, poor. Oh I know. God. Oh, dorks are so hot. The dorks are really hot, right? Okay, so my next one for you is it, this is a real <laughs> sex sandwich that I made toward the ends of these <laughs> dorks. I gotta say, Dr. Ellie Sattler from Jurassic Park. Sarah, <laughs> <laughs> I need you. <laughs> this is now an erotic segment. This is just, this is just watch Hannah <laughs> fall apart. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, this podcast now needs the adult this, themes warning. At this the start. new segment is called Hannah's Sex Dungeon. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Another dork for you. Two dorks left. Are you ready? Yeah. Maybe not. Data. Pork. <laughs> no, thank you. That's a no He'd for you. Narrate it the whole time. Ask real weird questions. And the final is dork yeah. is Ahmed from Community. Pork. No pork. Okay. There's a lot of pork in this segment, <laughs> I gotta say. Yeah. I have a type. Dorks are very dorks. porkable. Yeah, I think that's dorks what we Dorks are like. so porkable. It's so true. <laughs> okay, I want to try a new segment too. <laughs> I don't have a name for this one. I will tend to call it Bad to the Bone. Bad. Just so Hannah can do that. Bad to the Bone. You know how much I like increasing bees. That's how it goes. <laughs> that is how That's it goes. That's just how it goes is the thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. This segment I realized about 20 minutes before Hannah got here is basically just Jeopardy. Amazing. <laughs> but all That's the answers game. all the answers start with the word good or the word bad. I'm going to look for the daily devil. That's my strategy. <laughs> it's usually around the middle. <laughs> yeah. So you're going to have to buzz in. How are we buzzing? Uh, oh, okay. Boo boo. Boo boo boo. Yeah. Are you ready? Zip, zip, zip. This 2015 number one hit song by Taylor Swift featured guest vocals by Kendrick Lamar and oh, shares oh, its oh, name. Zip. Yes, Hannah. Bad Blood? Ding, ding, ding. Uh, Correct. I just sing it in my head. It's like, uh, bad. Uh. <laughs> this 1995 action comedy about two narcotics detectives Zip, was zap. Mike. Yes, Hannah. Bad Boys. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just looking at Hannah in awe, but also at myself in disdain. <laughs> this long-running women's magazine published its first issue in 1885 and is known for recipe ideas, product reviews, and home decor inspiration. Beep, beep, beep. Yes, good housekeeping. Correct. Uh, you knew that though too. You just gave you I'm gave a fucking it to magazine me. scholar. Yeah, bitch. I know you absolutely <laughs> knew. Imagine if it was called Bad Housekeeping. Bad Housekeeping would be such a good magazine bad Let's start it. comma you buy magazine learn good do that magazine remember that one <laughs> it was for women so it had to be phrased that way in 1885 so they could understand <laughs> comma you <laughs> Okay, uh, Sonera got the daily double, so the scores are 7,000 to 7,000. <laughs> Whew, evened it up. 
I had nothing to risk, and yet I won all that money. It was really exciting. I don't know how doubling works, but you're doing it. (laughs) This film and TV production company, led by J.J. Abrams, has been behind hits such as Lost. Beep, beep, beep. Yes, Sonera. Bad Robot. Correct. Mm, I didn't know that one. All right. Sonera uh, leaps into the lead. Three more. Up next, this 1990 crime film has been called by critics... Arguably the high point of Martin Scorsese's oh, 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 career. Pew. Yes, Hannah. Good fellas. Correct. Oh, 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 Pew is how I buzz it. Oh, oh. It's left over from the last, last segment. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> sorry, still thinking about Dr. Ellie Sadler. <laughs> Elbow deep in dinosaur shit. She's got shit. a doctorate for sure. Oh, that definitely has a real doctorate. <laughs> This Christian holiday commemorates the crucifixion of Jesus. Oh, it was a tie. Good Friday. It's Good Friday. Okay, both of you get points for that one. TGI Good Fridays. (laughs) Oh my God, that means we're tied and there's only one answer left. This will determine the winner. This 1999 banger by the Bloodhound Gang made waves. Yes, Sonera. Bad touch. Correct. You and me, baby, ain't nothing but mammals, so let's do it like they do on the Discovery Channel. Okay, stop. We don't have any money. We can't afford afford the license for that. Ah, this is the best podcast. What a great podcast. <laughs> what a great segment. I loved it. Oh, thanks. That was bad to the bone. That video was just them in monkey costumes running around Paris being assholes. I remember the dance from it. I didn't know the name of that song, though. The Bad Touch. I didn't know. It has a the at the beginning, technically. Bad Touch, comma, the. Comma, you. Uh, I have one other thing I want to talk about than advice. Okay. I want to talk about how Michael won't stand up to bullies. Uh, mm-hmm. Bullies. We see in this episode that standing up to bullies is often easier said than done. And Michael gives us an example at the end of the episode of, you know, one way of doing it that's intriguing and inspiring, but also seems kind of risky. As a result, like the stakes are raised really, really high. Like supernatural Uber judge is now coming to deal with this problem. Right. And I can remember times in my past where standing up to bullies didn't go nearly as well or wasn't nearly as inspiring. And given that that's something that we will inevitably have to deal with in our lives and there are good ways and bad ways to deal with that. How can we get better at standing up for ourselves and dealing with bullies or trolls? Like what would be some guidelines for getting better at doing so? Because in my past... It's literally standing up and using fists, and it's gone poorly, and that's why my nose is crooked. That's what I was wondering. Sorry, that's not anybody. And John here used to get in a lot of fights. Physical fights. Yeah, I didn't like being uh, gay-bashed, and so I would stand up for myself, and then I would get... You bashed back. uh, I mean, I did bash back. I usually lost. Okay. But, um... I'm one who is want to stand up, but I'm not always the best at doing so. And having had things go poorly in the past, there was a time where I just did it and I did the opposite. I just left and avoided because I didn't know another way. Um, And Michael makes it look really easy, but I don't think it's that easy all the time. So what are some guidelines for getting better at doing that in our like real world and what, you know, bullying looks like today? 
You know, I think it's really, I was also bullied really badly as a child and it's incredibly hard to do anything about bullies other than like fighting back when you were a kid. And I think that's because the best thing to do about bullies as an adult is something that you can't really do as a kid. And that is have really good firm boundaries that you enforce very strongly. And one of the very difficult things about being a child is that for the most part nobody <laughs> respects your boundaries yeah. or hears them or takes them seriously yeah. um, which is bullshit and we should absolutely let kids have boundaries and respect their boundaries but as an adult you absolutely can have boundaries and you can express them and you can enforce them and most of us are used to in various contexts being told our boundaries aren't okay that we are being selfish that we are that we're being cowards you know whatever the thing is but it is always good and healthy and okay to have boundaries so if those boundaries are you know if i'm out and i'm feeling uncomfortable in the space i'm gonna leave like it doesn't matter nobody gets to talk me into staying nobody gets to tell me oh but we're having a good time oh Mm -hmm. it's fine oh don't listen to nope I'm uncomfortable and I'm leaving and that's my boundary and if you ask me to give in on that then you're not respecting me someone had an amazing twitter thread about their mom telling them even when they were little that no matter when they felt uncomfortable they were 100% allowed to call her and she would pick them up and they would get to leave Mm. and like how much that instilled in her that when she was on like a bad date or in a situation that felt awkward like having that permission from when she was young like you're at the sleepover doesn't matter if everyone's having a good time you feel weird you get to call me and I will come get you no questions asked yeah so yeah so like having those resources to support your boundary is so helpful and a lot of the time we don't which is why we end up not respecting our own boundaries being like i'm uncomfortable here i don't like this i want it to stop but i'm just gonna what do i do yeah. I, don't, I don't know what to do about it right and, and i think as adults we're more likely to be able to be our own moms who drive us home yeah yeah, yeah. true and being more comfortable to ask for help mm-hmm. or see when people need help but necessarily can't or won't ask for it yeah yeah like, I have, yeah do you have nemesis either of you oh for sure yeah. I have just so many. No. I have one pretty key nemesis who runs in similar circles and did a weird thing where it's like they're a soap opera villain from my past who has amnesia and don't remember how they were super mean to me for oh many God. years. Oh, so that's... it's real. Yeah. It's like my Stefano Demira. It's really weird. Uh, but what I've now started to do about that is that when I know I'm going to be in an environment where that person might be ahead of time i like let someone know that that's the situation and then we like make a plan because the problem is like that person will fully corner me and talk to me like we're super pals and i kind of like deer in headlight because i still have like ptsd from the bully like adult bullying i endured at the hands of that person uh and so yeah that's my only technique because sometimes even as an adult like i become a child again like that's Mm -hmm. i have that's how that person affects me i feel like i'm getting better but i still don't have the ability to just be like i don't want to talk to you and walk away no thank you i will disengage now hard nope like i can't pass like i I think that's hard for lots of people this is a no from me dog like (laughs) i fantasize about doing that but i've not in just like social situations especially when they're professional yeah i haven't been able to like dab and moonwalk away (laughs) (laughs) just like hard nope that person it's not happened but because it is that's the thing is when you're a kid you fully can just like 
spit on a person and run away also but like we also cannot as adults like sometimes our bullies it's complicated yeah right totally yeah 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 Yeah. especially in professional settings where professionalism can look like letting yourself be bullied like Mm -hmm. yeah i feel like the banal form of bullying i experience a lot which i know you also experience and i think probably john you also experience banal bullying banal bullying is um people not hearing your limits when you say hearing people not hearing your no so so when you're like i can't take on anything more right now i'm absolutely up to my neck in work and people are like well i just really need you to take on this one more thing is the thing and if you say no you end up coming off as unreasonable not a team player not on board blah 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 yeah that is bullying that's just boring adult bullying and and so figuring out how to like say no hold on to no have people hear that you are reasonable being but a warm bitch yeah being a warm bitch lydia qua <laughs> bless you yeah but but knowing that like even even if people are gonna maybe like you a little less you still have to have those boundaries because if you yeah. just always give in people will take from you forever can you yeah. give us an example of like a good boundary you did recently? yeah yeah i had a colleague come into my office saying you know he'd started working on a new project that he was really excited about and was trying to get more people in the department on board with and said we're we're trying to create a advisory board for this project will you be on it and i was like this sounds really neat but i am tapped out with service commitments right now that's what we call like sitting on boards and committees and stuff in academia yeah it's like tapped out with service commitments like really maxed out can't take on any more uh, come back, back to me in a year when a couple of the committees I'm currently on, my term will be done. Uh, and he did not hear that. He was like, well, how would I just send you the first few emails? And, you know, maybe you could come to the meetings and maybe, you know, just that kind of like real friendly, real nice mm-hmm. and 100% not hearing me yeah. that I was saying no. And I just stuck to it. I was just like, I super respect you. If you send me emails, I'm deleting them. I said no. Yeah. I said no and I'm not doing it. And I said it with a smile on my face. You know, this is great work and I come back to me in a year. It's a it's a no for me. I do not have the capacity. Yeah, having those boundaries is important, but it's hard because in order to do so well and as regularly as is often needed, you have to be okay with people not liking you or having that be a fact because it comes across that way a lot of the time that when it's like, no, I can't. Or even if it's no, I don't want to, then it becomes like a personal thing. And it's yeah, about people take them. it as personal rejection. Or they think no. that I'm making an excuse or lying and think that I'm just pretending that I'm already working 50 hours a week. And like the fact of the matter is I can say that hard no because I am tenure track. Right. Mm, if yeah. I was precarious or if I was, you know, on a contract Freelance and trying or contract to get based. hired into this department, I would have said yes. Right. That that no is a function of security. Yeah. For yeah. me, boundaries are often feel like or actually are a function of security. Um, or at least we get conned into believing that we are not allowed to have boundaries, that they're a luxury. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. People, I, I tweet a lot about the industry I work in and how boundaries are very bad. Mm. Uh, and I have a lot of people say to me like, doesn't your like what does your boss think of your tweets and i'm like i literally don't tweet anything i haven't said to him in person many times but i do realize like i have been in this industry oh man like i'm gonna 
like over 15 years. Mm-hmm. So I also, oh. and I've been in my job almost 10 years. So I do feel like it is a function of that, right? Like yeah. definitely when I started up, I would have been like, sure, working a lot of overtime. Wonder what that says about the state of capitalism in the world. Like I don't think I would have been <laughs> tweeting stuff like that, right? But but I but it I still to this day have people be like, aren't you worried you're going to be fired? It's not hot. It's not fresh to have boundaries. Like people really, that's not normalized. No, yeah. it's not. A lot of people don't know how to do that or aren't used to seeing that. And elsewhere. they're hostile when you do it. They're like, how dare you devalue my working myself to death? Yeah. Well, or don't we all agree fucking, this is what matters? Like freelance hustle burnout yeah. culture, right? Like the, those, so- those posters, I think for Fiverr yeah, that were like, fuck. oh, hustle, wake up, hustle, eat working for lunch like and it was like yeah we are 100% like this is late capitalism it is a hellscape we are glamorizing working yourself to death the gig economy can suck my jalapeno or I hate (laughs) I hate when so I feel like we can accept that work is something that we have to do and capitalism is a system we're a part we're in and a part of but I hate when like time magazines like here's how to reframe your work and instead of thinking it as stuff you don't like and stuff you like think of it as stuff you do and stuff you love and I'm like nice try ruling class like I like I, I, oh my god! Oh, oh, so many T-shirts. Yeah. Nice try. Ruling class is a great T-shirt. But I just—it's hegemony. But right? I'm like, no, that's a scam. Like telling me that I have to be cheerful about exchanging my brain and body for a meager living, and I'm saying yeah. me, but like I mean general you. Like telling, telling, especially like service workers, precarious workers, to like just love that part where you fold the wrap. Like, come on. You know what I mean? Like, who gets to sort of reframe their job that way? I feel like a literal life coach who's um, making yeah, six I mean, figures. That, you know? like, if you love what you do, you'll never work a day in your life is, like, the most unbelievably elitist approach yeah. to labor. Yeah, yeah, you can't be mad at people for their boundaries. But people do get mad. And, like, that's what makes it so hard sometimes, right? And then you feel shitty for not doing like I literally have to have post-it notes by my desk that say it's okay to say no Marshall right that's one of like is is your is it like I have like a list of things that I've been kind of trying to focus okay. on I need reminders to like how to do life like how to exist as a human sometimes because I forget and it's like hard in the moment when a thing is, is happening trauma broke your brain well, we're all I mean, animals part of it. also it's really hard to <laughs> it's be really hard and yeah. so like you I remind me, myself baby? that like we're nothing but nothing mammals, but mammals. Let's do it doggy style so we can both watch X Files. (laughs) Two. These two. Oh my God. (laughs) Oh my God. Just things I say with. (laughs) (laughs) Let's talk about bullying. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one of my reminders on the wall is actually about bullying because having been through that when I was younger and standing up to some of my bullies. I learned that I'm that's something I'm able to do and that I can do and should do. Um, and that's grown. That reminder has grown. There's a sub clause. There's a post underneath that's about standing up to bullies in public wh- when other people are getting bullied in case they they can't or are unable to or are afraid to. Um, and it's happened a few times in the past. And it happened again recently. Um, I was on the bus here in Vancouver and a mean-looking man who probably was going through some stuff 
uh, started being real up in this nice woman's grill who was sitting on a seat. And all I did was literally stand in between the woman who was sitting down and the, the drunk man who was being very rude. And I was just like, asked her if she was okay, if she needed anything else. And my back was to the man. And he kept shouting and like shoved me a bit, but I could like hold on to the railing and I was fine. And I've done that like two other times over the past couple of years when there's been something happening on often public transit. And I wouldn't have known that that was an option if I hadn't made a mental reminder that that's a thing I can do. Because yes. in the moment you often panic or you're worried or it feels awkward and no one else is doing anything. So you feel like you don't have to do anything. Yeah. But having that, it's like having a script if you were like on a, a marketing call or something. You know what to say when this happens. Or when this happens, you say this. Yes. It's like having scripts for things to do when there are bullies or trolls for the listener john is 100 apples tall yeah yeah so one to two that's not one to 200 (laughs) apples tall um but but i have read that as as a recommended form of bystander intervention in lots of other scenarios you know on public transit when um there's a uh sort of infographic about intervening in islamophobic public Mm. harassment that went around quite a lot i've seen it yeah suggested as a way to intervene when somebody's being hostile or abusing um, like a, a retail employer, somebody working at a cash who can't right. get away. Um, and that generally the advice is the best thing to do is to speak to the person who is being harassed yeah. and ask them if they're okay. Yeah. Um, and that you engage them, you engage their attention and it doesn't like, just don't engage the person who's doing the harassing at all. And obviously there are scenarios where things are going to escalate and you need to ask for other forms of intervention. Yeah. But a lot of the time that will just throw people off yeah. um, and make the person. As soon as someone else steps in or even just yeah. identifies it as a problem or harassment and says, are you okay? Do you need more help? Is people, there something I could yeah. do? People That's- are banking on us being cowards a lot of the time well and that's just applying like emergency response training to harassment right because like what that's what you're supposed to do when you see someone in distress you're supposed to be like hey are you okay are you okay okay, right and so you're just but unless you think about applying it to other situations you're not going to right and that's how activism works too like when people sort of say to me like how do you have staircase wit like how do you have these things to say when people like yell fat phobic stuff at you etc and it's like practice yeah, yeah. You, know, you nobody, practice it, you know yeah, it enough, so yeah. you have those scripts, those rebuttals, yeah, those scripts things are huge. ready. And I never used to have that, so that I would rely on yeah. less effective and more personally harmful methods. Someone fully did that for me, like what you did, but I was at a bus stop, and there was a, a guy like harassing me, and a guy sort of just like got in between us. He didn't talk to me, though, which was, I, mean, I feel like maybe guys can do that, but he started just talking to that guy, and he was like, sure. what? Um, he's like, why do you, like, why are you trying to talk to her like that? you clearly need some help you don't know how to talk to people and then the guy was like yeah i don't know how to talk to people like it, it actually like it had a heart like, to heart yeah like it turned into this sort of heart to heart and he was like no that's not how you address this person she already said she didn't want to talk that to makes you. me both glad that somebody intervened and also furious about how the patriarchy works yeah and but, but then- it just ended up with two dudes <laughs> broing out about how hard it is to talk to bitches and he respected like that I didn't want to engage and he never engaged me directly. Yeah. He just like made it his job to talk to that dude. As a buffer. Yeah. yeah. yeah and I, I did appreciate it. I yeah. was like, but again, I'm like, would this technique work all the time? Hard to say. Like, I feel like he made a call yeah. where he was like, he also it- had big social worker energy. So part of me felt like, <laughs> is yeah. this? Yeah. Like he just did yeah. some social work. Yeah. Just social work to you. <laughs> He's just, there's. There are people who are more comfortable in those situations than others, but it is also very helpful to have like a contingency plan or different plans. So when that stuff happens, you have something in your pocket that you can 
do at the very least rather yeah. than he nothing re- he repeatedly asked my name and then i said not today satan <laughs> and then he <laughs> and then he kept trying to talk to me and then finally the other guy was like you can't talk to satan like that <laughs> and just like just redirect it oh that's clever it was pretty oh, funny but yeah okay. but again like i have that prepared like i don't like and whether and sometimes like making a joke like that does not make the person not talk to you. So I also have to adjust. Sometimes your mouth gets you into more trouble. Yeah, exactly. My mouth gets me into a lot of trouble. Oh no, but it's a good question. I feel like the only, like yeah, there is not. I don't know if there is a foolproof way to deal with bullies, which is why bullying continues. Yeah. Otherwise, we would have cracked this nut. Yeah, we would all just be like braiding each other's hair all the time after checking in whether or not we We were consented to that touch yeah yeah okay boundaries contingency plans scripts we're solving all the problems speaking of solving all the problems i guess some advice okay you 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 ought to know this is you ought to know a podcast within a podcast where we give you advice because you emailed us with your problems. Prepare to have your problems First solved. piece of advice, don't do that. First piece of advice, <laughs> don't email us. We don't know anything. This first one is from Jack in London. This seems scary. This is about murders. <laughs> this is from Jack the Ripper in London. No. I keep trying to murder all of these 19th I've, century prostitutes. I've done so many murders and I'm just wondering. Is that wrong? Where do I put the bodies? Jack in London says, I recently got offered what may be as close to my dream job as exists. If I take it, I would get to be the research director at a large charity foundation and would be able to direct a lot of funding towards socially conscious initiatives and programs and to researchers from underrepresented populations. But taking it would also mean that I have to move to the U.S., which, as a queer person of color, scares me a little bit. It also means that I would have to leave my partner who was working on getting his permanent resident status and won't be able to move to the U.S. with me. What's more important, taking a risk to do a lot of good in the world or being comfortable and happy? Jack, these are questions you should have asked yourself before applying for this job. (laughs) Okay. He probably didn't think he was going to get it. Yeah. He's like, that's a problem for future Jack. Yeah. 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 Well, future Jack is present Jack. Yeah. Yeah. And well, how can we help? How can we help Jack? Okay, so here's what you need. You need William Shatner with a fake beard on a magical horse-drawn carriage to take you forward in time to see what your life will look like if you choose career for love because this is literally the plot of a Hallmark <laughs> Christmas movie that I saw this year. So the conventional romantic wisdom would tell us to always choose love. That is not the choice I have made in my life. I have, in fact, always chosen career. And I have personally found that I have been able to rebuild my life in a version that I really like every time I move for a job. But I also know a lot of other people who work in the same field as me who have chosen love, family, relationship, proximity to people, mm-hmm. homeownership, liking being in a particular city, lots of other things, lots of other forms of comfort over their careers. Yeah, your career is about helping other people, but I wouldn't get too fixated on that because you can find a helping profession wherever you are. If you if what you want to do is commit yourself to helping people, you can do that in London for sure. Like, And it doesn't matter if it's not on the same scale? It doesn't matter. No, no. Somebody else will do that job and will also do a good job. 
I'm sorry, Jack. There are also other smart, talented people. The world of what sounds like international development or NGOs is full of super smart, super qualified people. Somebody else will do that job and that good will happen. So yeah. you don't need to be the person who does it. You are not going to be the cause of good in the world. So reframe it. It's not that you are getting to do good. It's that you are getting to have a job you will find fulfilling. 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 Furfling. Furfling. Um, and exciting. Yeah. And you're wondering if your job will fulfill you more than your relationship will. And that I can't answer. Can you, Sonera? Well, I feel like I kind of need more details about Jack's relationship a yeah, little bit. Yeah, me too. Just yeah. because... Like, how's that dick, though? Yeah. How's the D? <laughs> um, more, more so, like, something about the way the question was being asked makes me feel like they're in, there's a bit of a caretaker role toward the partner, or there's, like, complexity because the person isn't a permanent resident. So I kind of... Right. Yeah. So I kind of feel like... Like, it doesn't sound like the relationship will necessarily end, but I'm unclear if yeah. that's, like, the stakes, right? Because if the stakes is, like, a separation for a bit, that means something. But if one person is in, like, a caretaker role to the other, that might be mean something different. Yeah, that's so, a good point. So, yeah, it's tough. It's tough for, like, those sort of, like, do I elite, like, yeah. It's also unlikely that this job working for this large research foundation will be in, like, a rural area in the U.S. So, yeah. well, it might be a smaller city than mm. London. This, um, this is such a hallmark conundrum, though, right? Yeah. Where it's like, like look, are... you can either be good at business or good in bed. Yeah. <laughs> you can't yeah. have both. Yeah. Like, you can't, in fact, you you may maybe you can't have this relationship in this job. That might be true. Yeah. We don't know that that's right. true, but that might be true. I wonder if the um, toss-up is between a job job and a rewarding, meaningful job that you find value in. Yeah. Because I've had that discussion lots of times. Yeah. I'm much more okay working a 50-hour week if my clients are social service organizations and animal welfare organizations. I feel okay at the end of the day. If I work a 50-hour week at the university, then I hate myself. And <laughs> I quit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's different. I was an admin. Yeah. Teaching. Yeah, yeah. yeah, but you're right, yeah. though. I also feel like opportunities, like... We all, we because of scarcity we tend to think of every opportunity as a once in a lifetime opportunity, yeah, right? True, 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 true. So I do think it's possible that like Jack got offered this great job. I'm sure that if Jack decides to sort of like hang out with partner until this paperwork admin residency, my understanding is like permanent residency stuff can take a really long time, like yeah. years, years. years. So we don't know how far along that is. It's so so it it doesn't yeah. saying no to this doesn't mean no opportunity will ever come ever again. And I think that's important for Jack to think about too. That's a good yeah. point. And oh. and equally putting a relationship aside for a career does not mean you'll be alone forever. Like it's just the yeah. scarcity in both directions. Yeah, right? for so sure. it's like but at the end of the day, you gotta you gotta just take a long, long look in that truthful mirror. What yeah. would Stefan Urkel do? I mean, Choose love. Wear down that Laura Winslow. <laughs> if you like is the answer. <laughs> that was great. Yeah, that was a lot of wisdom. Yeah, we're, we're geniuses. Wise. We're really smart. Yeah. Okay, here's another one. This is from Whitney in Houston. Oh. <laughs> Does she just want to dance with somebody? <laughs> <laughs> or is it that she wants to feel the heat with somebody? <laughs> there was a second one, but I skipped it from Jane in Austin. <laughs> You're trash. <laughs> I couldn't. 
I looked at those names for a long time so I could keep a straight face, but That's really funny. I did a bad job. What's going on with Whitney and Houston? <laughs> <laughs> Hannah's never doing any more of these with me. Whitney in Houston says, I have coached a competitive youth soccer team for the past four years. This summer, after tryouts, our league director chose a squad of 18, leaving about eight kids unselected. Among those is a child whose mother recently died of cancer. <laughs> Myself oh, and a few others in the organization have been pressuring the director to make a special exception for the boy and his family who are coping with this tragedy. Some things are more important than winning, but the director of the team is hesitant since this is a competitive club team and he would have to explain to the family of one of our better players that their child lost their spot for personal reasons. The tournaments have a cap on squad size and we can't accommodate everyone. So what is the right thing to do here? Everyone plays or no one plays. <laughs> it just sounds like such I a know. fucking bummer. Competitive sports suck. Yeah, competitive sports really suck. They I mean, suck. I think what I would do in your position is uh, help that family to seek out rec leagues that the kids, yeah. that all of the kids who weren't chosen could join. Yeah, like this mis- is, misfits team. Like something has to happen. Yeah, like there is a point. Um, when I was a kid, I was really into dance. I loved dancing. I did ballet for a little while, and then I got deeply into tap. And when I was maybe twelve, my tap dance instructor took my mom aside and said that I did not have the body of a dancer and would never progress. I know this story. And should probably stop. And they're in the bad place now. They're definitely in the bad place. And so my mom didn't say, you don't get to dance anymore. She was like, maybe you will be interested in trying some other activities. And I got real into horseback riding. And let me tell you, a real good comfort for a 12-year-old girl when she's not going to be taking dance classes anymore is ponies. Yeah. Um, I feel like there is a moment for those of us who are not good at sports in our childhoods where all of a sudden it goes from like we're all just having fun here to like oh you're not good enough you don't get to keep doing this thing you like weird gopro culture when it's like what percentage of children who play in rec leagues go on to be famous athletes i feel like it's 0.002 percent or even in competitive leagues like i played high level competitive hockey until i was 17 and we were like winning provincials, and none of us are and now, hockey players. And you're the goalie yeah. for the Chicago Blackhawks. Just <laughs> um, it's true. That is true about you. The tallest, Famously. blankiest, most useless goalie. <laughs> <laughs> Um, But yeah, I feel like you have an opportunity here to intervene in all of these children's lives and show them that they get to keep enjoying the sport that they're doing outside yeah. of the space of this one particular league. And that... Like, yeah, you feel bad because this kid's mom just died, but that kid doesn't deserve to have recreational, pleasurable team sports in his life more than other kids who have moms. I'm sorry. It's a very, like, Disney storyline. Yeah. But it's like, you know, this is actually a chance for all of these kids to maybe get a little bit of mentoring and redirection to something else that they could do. It's this weird thing of, like, the commodification of compassion. And, Mm. like, we've talked about, like, whoever has the most, like, attractive GoFundMe, like, gets the donations, right? Or, like, the idea that, like, we can only be sad for a child when it's, like, a -a make-a-wish situation and then we give them an extreme treat. Like, all children are deserving of, like, a place to play and compassion 
you know, what I, what I want to unpack there is I worry about compassion as a sometimes thing. Yeah, right? absolutely. Like this yeah, thing 100%. that we only extend in extreme situations. Like that's not a good way to live, but no. also not a good way to live is to think that all sports have to be competitive. Yeah. Like absolutely sports can be cooperative and fun. Yeah. Like even if they just do like a fun drill league where they learn a lot of ball dribbling. Yeah. Does that, do you call it dribbling in soccer? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, you do. Start I a do. fucking fun rec league. So yeah, that kids, that's a great so answer. That all kids can play. That's all the advice. <laughs> we did the advice. <laughs> You've we, go. That's really good advice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great advice. You we're two great. crushed it. I have nothing to offer. <laughs> In this segment or just... In life. All right, sing us a song. You're the piano man. You live, you learn. you learn a segment in which hannah and sonera will gift you something beautiful or wise or tasty that you can add to your life to make it a little bit better as always we start with not hannah sonera i read a really great thing today that someone posted and i'm going to paraphrase it because i don't have it in front of me but they basically said you should learn to enjoy the subtle signs of mental resilience Instead of experiencing like extreme stress and then the relief mm. of stressing yourself out. So I am reflecting on that right now. Tell me more. So I was just thinking about how sometimes when we're really worried about a thing, the way that we think to work on that thing is to build it up and stress ourselves out and perseverate because it feels like we're working through it, but actually we're right. just working ourselves up. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to think of the difference between working through and working myself up and i think that it's easy to conflate the two yeah especially if we have a personality where we want like fast resolutions (laughs) and we struggle with like sometimes you gotta plant a thing and then like a hundred years later there's a tree yeah (laughs) like nobody ain't nobody got time for that play the long game with self-care yeah exactly or it's like you know 30 days in stardew valley and then there's a tree you still have to wait. It's like faster though, but um, <laughs> faster the more you. Play. But yeah, so just this idea of like maybe I I mean this was posted very like in that way of like a, an inspirational thing is on a square and it says some words oh, way, yeah. but I was thinking of it just as like yeah I'm thinking of this idea of like working through versus working myself yeah. up and why do I and why in some ways I'm are, like am I addicted to the like putting pressure on myself and mm-hmm. then the release. That yeah. I feel when like the worst thing doesn't happen, yeah. and what would it look like to sort of occupy more of a middle ground and be like, yeah, some bad things could happen, but also, what about good things that could happen? Like, you know what I mean? What if, yeah. what if the best case scenario happened? I'm not good at asking myself that question. I'm very yeah. good at asking myself like, what is the absolute worst thing that could happen? Yeah. Well, everyone could die in a bus crash. Like, it's like you know, I don't yeah. know if you do that. But oh yeah, it's anxiety brain. It's yeah, how it works. You're I'm always just... you're constantly playing out worst case scenarios. Yeah, it's just always the yeah. big bopper <laughs> plane crash. Yeah, and then they're all gonna go on a trip without me and then die. Yep, on the trip and then. I can't be mad at them. Yeah. Yeah. I'm constantly taking like micro scenarios like here. Let's make this real close to home. I was on Friday, maybe no Monday, Monday. I had no plans during the day on holiday Monday. I had evening plans Mm -hmm. that were lovely. I had uh, dinner with our lovely mutual friend Zena 
Um, I knew that was happening, and I was like, cool, I'm just going to have a chill day, get a little work done, yeah. hang out with the cat. It's going to be great. Then I was fucking around on Instagram, all these gorgeous pictures of Sonera and Andrea hanging out, having a day on the town. And here, let me tell you how trauma brain works. Trauma brain works. Oh, none of your friends in Vancouver actually like you. Nobody you know actually likes you. You're going to die alone. <laughs> and then and then having to do like a little bit of an intervention there and be like, mm, there's mm-hmm. not much evidence of that. That's not, that's not like, hey, check in. Do you think your friends are allowed to hang out without you? Yeah, it would be really weird if I didn't think that. Okay, so are these conclusions reasonable? Mm, no, they're not. Yeah. That's Resisting. hard to do in the moment. It is hard. You get addicted it is to hard. the anxiety and then the gratification when it does finally pass. Yeah. 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 And living in those ups and downs, right? Living in the misery and then like the sheer relief can yeah. become really addictive versus totally. living in the in-between space of like, this is okay. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And what's so funny about that is it was like a, pl- a thing that came together really late. And I literally thought, should I message Hannah and see if she's free? But then I was like, I feel like she's probably having a writing day. Here's the fucking thing. If you had messaged me, I would have said, I can't. <laughs> 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 like, I absolutely would have said no. I absolutely would have said. And I had a sense so that, much. that I yeah. had a sense that, yeah, you were, we had yeah. talked, or I had some sense yeah. that you were, Seven you were writing. Yeah. Wearing my, wearing my jam jams. Yeah. Just but it's nice writing. to be, it, I always like having that option to be like, oh, I'm busy. Yeah. Makes but you feel included. also, yeah. people are allowed to hang out without you. Yeah, right? they are. Is I mean, thing. I know that that's true, but I also feel, <laughs> <laughs> I feel some kind of way about that also. So oh, it's hard. It's yeah. hard. But yeah. I just try to remember how much I personally value one-on-one time with people yes, I really care about. Yeah. Like, I love doing that. I love group hangs, but I also love getting a chance to have one-on-one time with dear friends so that we can, like, really check in with each other and, like, really get into it. And it's like, well, if I value that, presumably I should also let other people in my yeah. life enjoy that. It shouldn't be just for me. That's just a Hannah thing. Yeah. But yeah, it's true when you really love your friends that when you when you see them spending that one on one time, I feel like there's always that little pull of like, yeah. I wish I was a part of this because I love yeah. these people. Yeah, because I and, love you. But that's yeah. a nice way to think of it, yes. right? Like yeah. as opposed like, to like, oh, you know, I'm they're only... talking about how terrible I am. <laughs> they must yeah. hate me. They're excluding me on purpose, and yeah. it's malicious. Yeah. It's... So why didn't you invite me, Sonera? I wasn't doing anything. Um. <laughs> Uh oh, too tall. (laughs) Yeah, honestly, that is it. We have a height limit. That's fair. You must be this short to ride. (laughs) And unfortunately, you're over a hundred apples tall, and it's a real. Do you know that where this apple thing comes from? I just want to explain this joke now. Is that Hello Kitty is exactly five apples tall? I'm really obsessed with apples as a height measurement now it's Hannah, really do you good offer- eat in season produce goodbye <laughs> <laughs> that's a wonderful advice thank you my it's advice really, was very, so <laughs> your advice was great and rich and complex and my advice is if it is available to you if and when it is available to you eat in season produce it is cheaper and it is delicious what great advice this is super great i love it's, doing this podcast this really was nice. probably one of the best nine episodes we've ever done <gasps> This is obviously. The best I mean, one my cat sticker. My cat sticker says so. <laughs> you are a great student. This was this was super great. Sanera, thanks for coming to be on our team. Thanks so much for having me. This you both are definitely going to the good place. <laughs> thanks for listening, everyone. 
And thanks to Shout Out 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 for letting us use their song Bad Choices off the album Reintegration Time. Also, thanks to you for going to rate and review this episode right now or in a little bit. And then, if you want, email us with a question and maybe Hannah and our guest will give you some ethical advice next season. The address is help at badchoices.ca. But for now, there's only one thing you gotta do, and that's make good choices. Who's a real bully? I'm a bully. Oh, I'm being called out or in. in. It's unclear. It's unclear. <laughs> <laughs> We're so far apart, I'm not sure whether I'm being called out or in. A ponce. <laughs> called You're a being ponce. Called I am a... being called a ponce. I have to separate you two more. Excellent pursuit by a podcast. <laughs> <laughs>